Well, turn with me, please, to Isaiah 61 in your Old Testament scriptures, Isaiah 61. And working our way through these passages in Isaiah this month that build our anticipation for the coming of the Lord. And now we celebrate that event today. So let me read just for a moment from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven again, teach us your truth, we pray. And as we celebrate the coming of your son, speak to our hearts, warm our hearts, give us the joy and comfort that you promise in your word from the Christmas message. And we give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have gathered today to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. And for the past four Sundays, we focused on these passages that build the anticipation. They promise the coming of a Savior. And we've tried to unite around that thought and lead up to this celebration of Christmas by working through these passages and then considering how Jesus fulfills them. And today we have one more passage to consider. And as we'll see from the New Testament citation of this passage by Jesus himself, we encounter once again promises that come to fulfillment because of the coming of Jesus Christ. And throughout this passage, the speaker declares that God has sent him to proclaim good news and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This speaker has a message that he wants us to hear. And as you gather this morning, what do you need to hear from the Lord? Uh, When you go back to work, maybe tomorrow, or perhaps you are able to go back to work on Tuesday, or as you're already thinking ahead a week, you're preparing for the coming year. Friends, what do you need to hear from the Lord. Maybe you're just preparing for family gatherings. Well, what words do you need to hear from the Lord? And as we've done, as we've prepared to do this Advent season, today let's hear the fulfillment of the Christmas promise. There's three things we can focus on in hearing that message. First, I want you to hear today what God promises us. Before we consider what's been fulfilled, one more time, let's hear what God promised through his prophet to his people long ago. Verse 1 begins, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
Now, earlier in our Advent considerations, we saw in Isaiah 11 that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on the one God promises to send. Well, Isaiah 61, it resumes that language and focuses on what this anointed one says and does in order to accomplish God's salvation. And as we said back in Isaiah 11, the language of anointing in the Bible, that refers to God enabling you to do what he's called you to do. So God gave Joseph his spirit so that Joseph could interpret dreams to Pharaoh. God poured out his spirit on Bezalel to build the tabernacle. You may think, you know, carpentry skills, does that need the spirit of the Lord? Well, in that particular service, God enabled Bezalel to do that, anointed him with the spirit, made it a sacred duty. Others were anointed to govern God's people or to prophesy. You know, earlier this week, I was praying through the church directory and thinking of different people in the church. And the various gifts God has. You know, so-and-so's really good at that. He's good at this. She's good at that. And I was genuinely thankful. Look, the various gifts God's given that enables this church to do its ministry. Where do all those come from ultimately? They come from God our Father, who sent His Son, the Messiah, a name that means anointed one. And the Messiah, having come now, pours out His Spirit on the church that we may walk in the Spirit and use our gifts for the good of the body. Well, well, here's the central figure that makes all that tick, this anointed one who is anointed, why? To proclaim good news to the poor. And that phrase, proclaim good news, that's where we get our English word gospel. God is sending someone to proclaim good news to the poor. Now, why name the poor as the audience? Because they represent the kind of people God came to save. Listen to this description from Psalm 25. The author prays, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Listen to all the troubles that person faces. They're lonely, afflicted, troubled, sinful, and in need of protection. That's a good description of the poor. And as God says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I wonder, is that you This morning, you sense those kinds of needs, maybe even today on Christmas, maybe more today on Christmas. If so, then you're the kind of person that needs to hear the fulfillment of this promise. And Isaiah then goes on to elaborate on this picture of the poor. He says the anointed one will bind up the brokenhearted. He'll bandage those whose hearts are broken. That is a beautiful image. Earlier in Isaiah, the prophet spoke of those who have unbandaged wounds due to sin. Other times we can have unbandaged wounds due to troubles. Here we read, God will bind up and bandage those wounds. He will also proclaim freedom to the captives. Captives there probably more likely refers to exiles. Maybe imprisonment comes to mind first. But captives, those who are taken captive into exile. Remember, that's the consequence God warned 
if his people violated the covenant. He goes, I'll take you back to Egypt. And what he meant was you're going to go back into bondage. Might not be geographical Egypt, but it will be bondage. You'll be a captive again. Well, here Isaiah announces the end of the exile. He reverses the curse. And in a similar image, this messenger proclaims release from darkness for the prisoners. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this is what comes through in the New Testament, it renders this recovery of sight to the blind. Well, that obviously calls to mind what Jesus does in the Gospels physically. And in addition, throughout Scripture, light and dark, they have spiritual overtones. God opens your eyes to turn you from darkness to light. Now look at these last details, and then we'll go into the New Testament. According to verse 2, He will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now that first phrase is a technical phrase. The year of the Lord's favor, that's a description of the year of Jubilee, one of those festivals that Israel celebrated. Well, this one was a particular high watermark, only every 50 years. And it was the year when all of the debts were forgiven, when prisoners or captives were set free. It's an event that becomes a picture of salvation, full forgiveness, full freedom. It's a way of describing what things will be like when God comes again, when his new age dawns. It will be like the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. Well, this messenger is coming to say that time has come. Now, he will also... Proclaim the day of vengeance. Now maybe you wonder, okay, well, how is that good news? Well, again, for those who suffer, it can be good news because it assures them God will dispense justice. He will do so against oppressors, against abusers. God is the one who will take care of it. Not those who find themselves afflicted. There are people who do great harm to others and one day they will give an account to God. And so that does comfort those who have suffered under the hands of evildoers. Furthermore, plug in what we know from the whole flow of the Bible. What's God's first move towards his enemies is to forgive them. It's to pray on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen being stoned, Lord, don't lay it to their charge. To save and rescue his enemies, lest they suffer from his vengeance. And then lastly, God promises to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That All that language simply means this. God will beautify his people. And when you think of the image that Isaiah opens with, just read chapter 1 sometimes, of a people who try to beautify themselves, and it's just a bad picture. There's wounds, there's sores. Why? Because they're self-reliant. They're self-exalting. They they beautify themselves and nothing but trouble comes of it. But when we turn from those ways, we trust in God's anointed. Well, then by grace, he beautifies his people. And that is what God promises us. That's what the Christmas promise is all about. 
So let's come now to see then how Jesus accomplishes this. We know what God promises us. We've heard that. Let's hear now what Jesus accomplishes for us. And this comes right off the pages of the New Testament. I'll read this to you from Luke 4. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on them. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Here we find Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. It's what he normally did. In synagogue services, they probably featured two readings, one from the law and one from the prophets. And then someone would speak from those texts. Sounds somewhat familiar, doesn't it? Well, here we find Jesus invited to give the reading from the prophets, and then he speaks on it. And Luke summarizes his message for us in these simple words. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus declares, I am the anointed one, and I am here to bring The promised release. Everything we just read about in those verses from Isaiah, Jesus says, I am here to accomplish those purposes. Now here's what's interesting about Jesus' reading. When he reads this passage from Isaiah, he includes a phrase that is not found in Isaiah 61. Everything we read there is from Isaiah except for one phrase. At the end of verse 18, We read, to set the oppressed free. That's not in Isaiah 61. It is in Isaiah earlier, in chapter 58, verse 6. And the significance of that is this. When you read Isaiah 58, it is a chapter that rebukes religious hypocrisy. A a people, particularly those in power or, or in leadership, those with control or with wealth, where their religious practices create burdens for those under them. And the prophet Isaiah rebukes them saying, no, the purpose of religion and worship, it's to relieve burdens, not create them. You should be helping the people rather than exploiting them. And that phrase, to set the oppressed free, it's a line of condemnation in Isaiah 58. This is what you should have done, but failed to do. So here's what Jesus is doing with this extra citation. He's picking up the flow of Isaiah. And he's saying, look, friends, this is what we should have done. Set people free, Isaiah 58. You didn't. And so God promises to send you one who will, Isaiah 61. And I'm the one who's going to bring it about. And listen, something we all know well. You can say things. You can make claims. That doesn't make things happen. But the record of the Gospels is that Jesus not only proclaims the salvation, he brings it. He is this salvation. And so now is that time, and that's what we celebrate today. And here's one last idea 
in closing. Hear what the Spirit produces in us. Very end of the Isaiah passage, we read this phrase in verse 3. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And here's the idea in that image with the oaks of righteousness. First, it could communicate the idea of vindication. When God acts to restore his people, they will be a reflection of his righteousness, of his justice. They'll reflect his splendor. But not only that, throughout Isaiah, there's that ongoing need for the people to be righteous. As we've often said, they have not fulfilled their vocation. They haven't borne witness to what it means to be God's new humanity. And so in his grace, God sends the ideal servant, anointed by the Spirit, who brings true deliverance and transformation. And in union with that servant, by the work of the Spirit, we become the people God's called us to be, an actual righteous people. So what is God saying to you today? He is speaking words of promise. Here's what God offers you in His Son. He's speaking words of fulfillment. Here's what God has accomplished in His Son. And He's speaking words of calling. Come, follow me. If you follow me, he says, I'll give you water that will satisfy your soul. I'll relieve those burdens and give you a light yoke. I'll make you a fisher of men, Jesus says. One who will bring God's light to others and lead people to the living water. So are you ready to follow him into another year? Today's a day of celebration. I hope you already have a little bit and you'll go do a lot more in just a few moments. Celebrate the salvation God has provided. And then look to him to provide everything you need. Everything for today, everything for tomorrow, everything for beyond. You find your identity, your hope, your calling, your purpose in him and shine that out to others. We can celebrate what we have in Jesus as we hear this fulfillment of the Christmas promise. So let's give our thanks to our Savior. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the salvation that you promised and that you have now provided. We celebrate that today. We we just give you our sincere thanks. We thank you for all the good gifts you give, that in the celebration of the Savior, it creates times of enjoyment with family or friends. It creates enjoyment of the good gifts you give. I, I pray we would... Utilize all that through the lens of the Savior, the one whose ultimate gift satisfies our souls and points our eyes towards the great day that is coming, a feast that won't end with you and your heavenly kingdom. Now we come to your table to have but a token of that. We pray you to remain with us. Bless the folks that have come this morning. Meet any needs they have. May they find their hope in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.